So I am probably not your best. This is like the worst way. Like, oh, Brian's going to be considered for a pestrit. Let me tell you, I am committing potential pastoral suicide. I struggle with hearing and listening. It's not like a physical, like, oh, you can't hear. No, no, like, really, a struggle with, with being able to hear someone speak to me and then being able to consciously put you at the center of attention. And you're probably like, we're going to never write that down. But now, here's the reality. Um, I can be laser focused on something and the house could be on fire, right? My kids could be coming, my wife could be shaking me, and I'm going to say, I gotta focus on this, right? Um, it's a gift, but also it is a struggling curse for me. If you've seen the movie Up, I'm like the dog, Doug, right? So Doug is just wanting to be loved and appreciated and affirmed, and then like Doug can be talking and all of a sudden Doug goes, squirrel, right? Just, he completely loses track of what is going on around him. My staff, a few of my staff are here this morning, and Adam can attest to you that in the midst of my thinking, and my wife sees this every day, just pray for her, um, that I could be thinking about a thought, I could have half the conversation in my head, and then I can introduce that conversation to someone in the moment, and they're going, what are you talking about? And I have to go, oh, oh yeah, so I had half the conversation in my head, and so I need to flush that out to you now so you actually know what I'm talking about. And, and, and there's this struggle for me in my listening and my attentiveness that I just need to slow down in a lot of ways. By God's grace, when people talk to me, he is slowly and equipping me at 37 years old that when somebody comes and talks to me, I literally have to preach to myself to say, shut everything else out. You've got to focus on what's going on in front of you. And I would argue that you and I miss so much of great opportunities with people because we get consumed with all the noise going on around us. The reality of it is, is I've had to work on this a lot. Today we're looking at a passage of scripture where God's people, the Israelites, are crying out to God. But here's the uniqueness, where you struggle with hearing and and being able to hear the voice of God through his word, he hears every single groan in your life. Praise Jesus. Every groan. Even the groans that your, that your, uh, that your wife or your parents or your teachers or your boss can look at you and go, stop dealing with petty things. God even hears those things. He instinctively hears and he listens and he responds to Israel's plea in the midst of their oppression. This thing of oppression is not something new. Rather, it is something that we can track throughout all of human history. Oppression is a scene where someone is trying to force power to gain power over someone else, to inflict the most control and cruel and unjust treatment over someone else to gain the most power. You've probably had somebody like this in your life. This desire, this lust for power goes back to the garden. Right when the serpent tempted Eve to say, you will be like God. 
You will be your own God. You will be able to determine what is right for wrong. That lie has brought the great chasm in all of human history. This pursuit for power, this division between us and God and us and everyone else. I don't care if we're talking about white versus black, rich versus poor, slumlord versus tenant, trafficker versus the trafficked, drug dealer versus a vulnerable woman sitting and standing at Minute Mart on 12th Street just down the road from here, abusive husband versus fearful wife or vice versa, popular versus unpopular, athlete versus nerd, troublemaker versus teacher's pet, power-hungry boss versus employee who always gets passed over, the promotion, the most educated versus the least educated, communism versus democracy, the righteous versus the unrighteous, the list goes on and on and on of these forms of oppression that have consumed you and I. The vulnerable to the majority experience utter injustice by the powerful. Why? Why does this consume us? Because of this passion for power, for popularity, for pleasure, to fulfill the desires of the flesh, this fear of not being in power, esteemed or in control, has paralyzed people for centuries because it goes against that singular lie back in the garden, you will be like God. In our passage today, we're at the part of the story in Exodus where we hear God's people cry out to him in the midst of their oppression. So let us together read this text together. And I don't know in a post-COVID world if I've noticed we not stood as much when we read scripture. Um, but let's not. So let's just, I want to just want you to know that when we read God's scripture, we want to read it in complete and utter respect because this is the word of God. So let's all take our attention to Exodus 2 23. It says this During those many days that the king of Egypt had died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, and with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Israel's reached a turning point in Egypt, where they think they are ready for God to take them out of their oppression. I want you to understand something. They have been in slavery. They will be in slavery for over 400 years. And they're crying out for help. So let's have a little class review. Because you're like me. Which some of you aren't. You've not been sitting in the VIP section. So, so you may have not missed this. But thank God for technology. We can go back and review this. But if you have not, listen to this. In Exodus 1, the people of Israel are too many. And too mighty for us to fight, the Egyptian said. And he said, come let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us. Continuing on in verse 11, therefore they sent taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy 
burdens. But the more they were oppressed, the more multiplied and the more that they spread. This is not in my notes, but I will tell you this, where the most suffering lies within the church, you will see the greatest movement of the Holy Spirit. Go read the book of Acts. And the Egyptians were tre and tread the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in war and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. Thanks be to God, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them. And the expectation of what the king, uh, the Pharaoh believed is that when they would come and be in unbelievably oppressive work, they would not go home and spend intimacy with their wives to produce more children. But instead, the opposite happened. God's hand was upon his people. The midwife said to, he, to, to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are like the Egyptian women, for they, they are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Pharaoh had every intention to oppress God's people. But God, as we will see, has no plan for him to prevail. If you're a person like me and enjoys point, you can write this down. God is longing to hear your plea. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. God longs to be in a relationship with you. For many of you, your story is full of pages and chapters after chapter of you knowing the gospel with the ability to explain it with with great beauty to share the stories to your kids, but you've never truly surrendered to God. You've never truly believed that God can hear, wants to hear your plea. But listen to Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him, for, for him. He is he is waiting to be gracious to you. He is waiting to hear your plea. He's waiting for you to cry out in the darkness of night. Going to work is one of the easiest tasks for me in the midst of COVID. I will tell you this. But for my wife to wake up and go to work and care for our children, there is no harder task that I've seen a woman go through this last year. But I've seen my wife on bended knee cry out to God to sustain her, to keep her, to protect her. And sometimes that's looking at her, looking at she's she's looking at me saying, I'm gonna kill him. You gotta hold me back. I'm gonna take him out right now. They've not done me the done. They, 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 have, they have done me in. And so I gotta come in. I hear her groaning in our response. I mean, if you're not doing that, 
You watch your back. Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of his generation and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who be poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God is longing to hear you. He is also attentively listening to the righteous. And the righteous are those that he has called unto Christ, who is redeemed, who is made new, who is restored. It is those who stand in rejection to the gospel, the good news, who are the unrighteous. For those called righteous and blessed, God has graciously inclined you to hear and see the gospel and give you an invitation to respond and cry out to him for salvation. Praise God. It is calling you into salvation. He now wants you to call to him daily, hourly, minute by minute. In the New Testament, we're called to pray without ceasing, to commune with God. He's longing to be intimate with you. This deep abiding relationship with you until you breathe your last breath and instantly be in the presence of the King. Amen. Like He wants you to plead. He's waiting. He is wanting you to see Him in the midst of your suffering and struggle. He's longing for you to cry out. I would argue we wait until we cannot hold on any longer and cry out to Him. In our arrogance, we, 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 we think that we can take care of these things in our life, that we can maintain a perfect balance. If I just do this, things will be better. If I just try it this way, God will do that. No, it's that He is longing for you. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not just in time of plenty, but in time of need. We are so good at pleading to God in times of, of need. But some of you are missing out. Some of you have become lost in your pride. Some of you have become lost in your arrogance. Some of you have become lost to think that you do not need him any longer. Point two, God wants you to know he hears your groaning. He wants you to know he's asking you to cry out. He's inviting you. He has the most attentive listening ear, but he wants you to know he hears your groaning. And he invites you to hear it too. In the midst of whatever you're facing, I want you to hear you. He hears your cry for rescue. Just like what you were facing, facing and going through, he has every intention to use it for your good and his glory. Psalms 34, 15. Listen to this. Write this down. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ear are ears are attentive to their cry. God's intention of taking Israel out of slavery wasn't so that they could go and live a life of luxury. 
in the promised land. So many in the American church that say, well, I'll pursue Jesus because maybe he'll make my suffering less. Rather, so they could join him in his work of redeeming a people for himself. God had chosen to use them to be a blessing to the nations. He chose to use them to show the nations what he was like. He was going to use them to unfold his rescue plan. Praise Jesus. Isaiah 19, 20-22. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord... Because of oppressors, listen, he will send them a savior and a defender, and he will deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. What? The same people that have cursed him into slavery, he's going to reveal himself. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas of mercies and heal them. Just like the Lord offered rescue to the Israelites, he would offer rescue to the Egyptians. And just like he offered a rescue to the Egyptians, he's offering a rescue to you. To you. In the midst of your oppression of sin and in your slavery of sin and your temptation to go back to sin, he is offering you a rescue. You need to see this church as I was studying this week in the Christ-centered expository commentary. It reads this, Israel's deepest problem was that Egypt was inside of them. A persistent tendency to return to their previous wretched condition. Do you know who this sounds like? That person standing next to you. I see what it sounds like. No! Is that the point? He's talking about you. Not the person next to you you're most frustrated with. She's not frustrated with me. I'm just kidding, kidding, right? So no, 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 like it's you, it is you, you that God wants to redeem you out of your persistent tendency to return to your wretched condition. I think the tension for you and I is just like Israel, we get so lost in our wretched condition, we can't see the invitation. We can't see the invitation to hear the groans. The Lord hears. He wants you to feast in his mercy, within his grace, and the justice the cross of Christ brings to you. But as you feast, he has called you to hear the groans and pronounce the hope of the gospel to those enslaved to sin and oppressed by outside forces. He's inviting you to worship and to commune with him and to join him. See, like the Israelites, the Lord is deeply grieved by their groans of the physically oppressed and enslaved. He hears the cries of the people, and Israel was in legitimate physical bondage. But let us not think God is only concerned about man's physical oppression. Man's spiritual suffering is the groans. He hears the loudest. 
Behind the Lord removing Israel out of their physical suffering was to unfold his rescue plan for the man's spiritual oppression to be restored back into himself. We see God do this over and over and over again through the pages of Scripture, showing us his plan to send the Redeemer. Here's the tension. Yes, God is deeply grieved and gravely concerned about the spiritual oppression that people are in right in this moment. But I can confessionally tell you the things that I have seen, the things that I wish I could forget, is that many trapped in, in, in oppression and injustice are not going to come to the table to hear your proclamations of good news until they are rescued out of their physical injustice. It just isn't going to happen. So when I look upon a 19-year-old girl coming to the door of Hope House, and she is high as a kite, just completely confused, deceived, broken, it does no good for me to look at her and say, you just need to repent and believe. Because I know right down the road she had just let the person that is sexually assaulting and abusing her, and she just wants to get away. So what good is it for God to heal me of my sins if I don't even know how to get out of this? Because I'm being told if I don't go back here, I'm going to be killed. Or I'm going to be physically abused. Church, I'm telling you, God did not set us here for some just like, oh, they'll be more sweet. No, like God has literally put us in what Bowling Green community, what the wealthiest wealthy would say, this is the cesspool. Do you know where you can find Jesus? You can find him in the depths of the cesspool of your hearts, and you'll find him in the depths of the cesspool of the broken. So, like, if you have any intention to make this thing about you, you've missed it. You have missed it. We must care for the injustices of this world because our Lord cares deeply for injustice so they may hear and see what God's pursuit of them. Isaiah 117 says this, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the followers. Fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So just as God has heard your groaning, he wants to invite you to hear it too. And I pray that you grow so deep into the intimacy with the Father that when you go out in public or when you look at your neighbor, you are not impressed by the size of their house or how much they make. You are grieved that they are walking blind in the deception and slavery of their sin. That when you drive down, don't come down Veterans Memorial to hide and to blind yourself from all that's really going on. Come up down Clay Street, drive down Woodford, take a ride on Barron Road and turn right in here and just take a glimpse. Take a glimpse. Snap a picture, print it off the Walgreens, put it on your glass mirror in your bathroom. There is a legitimate epidemic 
It has happened across this world and even in our own city. Just like the newborn baby boys are at risk of being killed of, uh, or families being heavily oppressed through unjust labor, we see unjust slavery all around the world right now. Human trafficking is one of the most grotesque, oppressive acts of physical slavery that we see in this very moment. As we are sitting here comfortably in our chairs, little seven-year-old boys in Ghana are working 19-hour shifts out in the river. And when they talk back to their oppressor, they are put in the water, acting like they're going to drown them. Thankfully, this is getting more attention. According to the International Justice Commission, there are 40 million people in slavery globally right now. That's more than ever before in human history. Slavery is a multi-billion dollar industry that produces over $150 billion annually. Slave owners prey on the poor and weak. One in four victims of modern slavery is of a child. Every people, everyday people are beaten, they are enslaved, they are abused into absolute bondage. To the woman who takes a high loan from someone who owns a factory and then oppresses them into working for them, continuing to increase that loan when all she wants to do is provide for her family, when she gets an opportunity to pay off that loan and then says she's going to leave or sneak off, the owner comes back and violently forces her family to continue working long hours for him. Um, or something I can't even tell you about. This can without giving permission to talk to you about it first because your kids are here. Can you not connect with that? While you are sitting and watching the Super Bowl next Sunday, the FBI and other federal agencies are prepping for one of the highest rate of trafficking that will go on in the Tampa area starting this week and into Sunday. In 2019 alone, according to the FBI, 169 individuals were arrested in connection with sex trafficking during an 11-day operation that was undertaken in conjunction with the Super Bowl in Atlanta. It's the fastest growing illegal activity. Just in the U.S., it's a $13 billion industry. Isn't it sad we call it a business and industry? We don't. Shockingly, in 2013, four times the amount of people were sold as slaves in America than the year before the Civil War. Still can't connect? Still struggling? The countless women we see at Hope House in this neighborhood have been emotionally manipulated and abused by men to gain power over them, to use them as prostitutes. They would draw them in with their charm, get them hooked on drugs, and attract them around the neighborhood. In the same way, in 2019, a parent was taken into custody for selling her newborn for $2,000 neighborhood, $2,000 in the very neighborhood that you sit in right now, just a few, a few blocks down the road. Don't get lost in yourself that you forget God has called you to hear the groans of his image bearers of God. Wake up. Wake up. Come. 
We've got to wake up. You may not be able to get to India or Ghana, but you can get to right now. You can invite him in. See, William Wilberforce, if you've never watched the movie Amazing Grace or read anything about William Wilberforce, listen to what he says. You can choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you didn't know. God has invited us and called us to worship, and while we worship Him, we wait for Christ to return and call to live and long for this on earth as it is in heaven to commune, to dwell, and seek shalom with one another. And invite the poor, the homeless, the outcasts, the addicts, the prostitutes, the vulnerable, the disabled, to the table of grace. Yes. We can sit at the table with others that don't look like us, smell like us, think like us, because Jesus came and did it with us first. Do you, have you forgotten what you are deserving of? God longs for them to find the same peace and refuge and hope and community we have found to the rescue of Christ our Lord. But before this happens, we must see and hear their groanings. Jesus was constantly showing us how we need to throw our parties. Majors and parties. Like he was in the VIP section. Just saying, he was. He's like, oh, y'all just built Jesus? That's all right. No big deal. Keep having your party. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Two people, three people do. <laughs> Alright, Jesus had come to live out what the Israelites couldn't do. He invited the outcast to eat with us because you and I are the... So, so he invites the outcast to eat with him. God used the rescue of the Israelites to bring forth the ultimate rescue of Jesus so we can be redeemed. And join him in his grand story of redemption. When's the last time you just wept with someone in this room? When was the last time you just groaned for God? When was the last time you sat down next to someone and just listened to their pain and their struggle and their suffering? And you may see what they do not see yet. That's the point. Number three, God has displayed his faithfulness to you and to me. While the Lord hears your groaning and invites you to hear the groans of others, you can have confidence that he will stay faithful to what? Your unfaithfulness. He will stay faithful in your unfaithfulness because God did not look upon the Israelites and go, you've been doing pretty good at this slavery thing. Well done. Y'all have been lying a lot. I'm there for you. No, what did he remember? He remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Praise God. If you think you have anything to do with this, walk out to your car, check your heart, come back in and sit down and we'll start talking. You have nothing. You bring nothing to the table. You and I bring nothing but our filthy rags. For God to rescue his people out of his oppression, God, excuse me, for God to not rescue his people out of his oppression, Caused by the sin of the Egyptians would lead him to break his covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was not commanded by the Israelites. No one commanded God. He responded out of his faithfulness to rescue his people. 
One theologian wrote this, thankfully, thankfully, what God remembers is not his people's sin, but his covenant of grace, his unbreakable promise of salvation. Israel was not saved because they deserved it, but because the God of Israel was and is, he is good, he is gracious, he is merciful, compassionate, loving, holy, just, and righteous, and he saw an opportunity to display that to the greatest of adversaries. Yes, was it for his glory? Absolutely, 100%. But there is so much more going on in the scenes here. God knew even before he rescued the Israelites out of oppression, he knew they're going to turn my back on me. But I will not turn my back on myself. I will keep the promise that they, that I know, cannot keep. Because when you go back and look at Genesis 15, who went? Who was the cloud of smoke? Who said, if I break this covenant, what we just did to these animals is what we'll do. The covenant is broken. But you know what? He knew they'd break the covenant. And you know what? He also knew he'd be crushed for it. He was rescuing his chosen people who still had the same inherited sinful nature as the ones he was rescuing them from. It was nothing the Israelites deserved in the midst of this rescue. He will not be defeated by sin, Satan, and death. Rather, he will remember his promise to Eve that a Savior was coming. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 15 through 14. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, speaking to Abraham, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Behold, my covenant is with you. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an underlined, highlight, bold if you have that skill set on your tablet, an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What is the purpose of God to remember his covenant and remind his covenant to us? For God to rescue his people out of the oppression they were in was for him to display his glory not just to the Israelites, but to the Egyptians and to you and I thousands of years later as we stand here on Bear River Road, honestly just looking foolish to the rest of the world, so that he may display his glory and show his deep attributes of love compassion, goodness, and faithfulness, through that he would be glorified and then invite us to share in those with others. Lastly, when God hears 
He knows your plea. When God hears, he knows your plea. Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Exodus 3, 16 through 17, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and land flowing with what? Milk and honey. They were crying out under misery and agony from their hurt to their God who could compassionately hear the cry of their need and their help. Why? Because God is compassionate. I need you to pause for a moment. What is it that you are deeply struggling in? What is it that you see others deeply struggling in? I can promise you this. God hears you. He knows your plea. He knows the deep and dark crevices of your heart. He knows what you need to share with somebody else. He knows how you've been holding on to this for so long and you just don't know how to lay it down. Can you imagine the fear of a woman in Egypt as she is hearing that if she bears a son, he will be killed? I mean, it feels foolish to even say it. No, I mean, I don't know why, but but why? A woman. Clear that up. Right? But no, like a woman under can understand the fears. And then as a father, you can understand this thought of, I've got to stop this. I've got to protect my family. In the midst of their suffering and groaning, God hears you and hear them in the whispering of the night. While you were sitting in your bed, weeping silently because you are just struggling so deeply, God hears you, even when you're trying to hide it from everybody else. They knew who their God was, and God knew who his people were. We see later on in Exodus 6-7, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Just like God knew the Israelites are suffering and their sin in their hearts, God knows your suffering and struggles. Oh, what glorious grace and good news we have this morning. He knows your innermost thought, your innermost wicked deeds. He knows all of you, looks upon you, and is calling you into salvation. Not just back on that time when you walked the aisle, but right now. He is calling you into salvation. He didn't just save you then. He's saving you now from that thing that you're wrestling and struggling in. But he didn't, he's not, like he's not listening because of what you did, though. Or didn't do, or will do. He did it because he is the God of the covenant who hears you, he sees you, and he remembers his promise. And he completes his rescue plan. Could you imagine if the Israelites knew what we know in this story? Could you imagine? But I think the fear is that some of you have forgotten when it's here. They've been here all along. We don't have to go far to see how the story ends. 
So what is this salvation? What is this rescue plan? If you are just so inclined to know at the edge of your seat is that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He saw the oppression and slavery of your sin. He saw also the true nature of your heart to not want to choose him. So he sent Christ on your behalf to live the life that you could not live. To die the death on the cross that you rightly deserve for the punishment of your sin and raised to walk in the resurrection so you might live free from the bondage of your sin. What makes salvation so good and not burdensome is because he is not concerned about what you have done. Well, I'm going to come when I clean myself up. I just got to get myself straight. I just got to straighten myself up, then I'll come to God and he'll be ready for me. No, you will never be ready for him. Some of you believe you are the least of sinners in this room. Let me tell you something. You need to know he sent Jesus to free you of your exhausting attempts to be perfect so you can rest in his perfect work of salvation. Some of you believe you are the worst of sinners and there is no way he could forgive you of the things that you have done. He came to take your guilt and your shame and restore you back unto himself. I don't care which spectrum you are in, you have fallen. And you need a rescue. He knows all about you. The God who keeps his covenant knew what you needed. You needed a rescue. In closing, I need you to hear this. This is probably one of the toughest parts, I think, in what we what, what we miss. God wants to rescue you. And to many of you in this room, he has. But until Christ return, he may not pull you out of the thing that you have been wrestling with for so long. I'm thankful that God did not remove the thorn from Paul because we would have seen an arrogant man who thought he did not need the dependency of God. You would be so tempted to believe you do not need him anymore if he just completely gave you, gave you a life of luxury. He knows what you need. You need him. And so for him to take and remove those things from you, why would you need him anymore? Exodus 14, 10 through 14, and, and man, I, whoever gets to preach this, I don't want to be here because it's going to be hard. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Like, we can't even get a proper burial. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Just leave us alone right here that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die to the, in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord God will fight for you. Listen to this. You only have to be silent. God wants you with him and he hears your cry. God doesn't promise the next step will be easy. 
He, but he does promise he will be with you throughout every burden, trial, struggle, hurt, pain, disappointment, threat, and doubt. And failure. We'll see Israel continue to doubt God as we study the book of Exodus. But he will stay faithful because he is our God. But he wants to shape you into a greater dependence on him. That is the joy. That is the gift. So that when we read the 23rd Psalm, we can pray like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie, lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for who you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Such goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I should dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when you lay your head down, when you take your last breath, you can finally see the already but not yet. You can go with confidence that it is, it is He who has sustained you. It is He who has allowed you to persevere. It is He who is coming to make all things new. I'm telling you, in the midst of things that I see every day, that is absolutely disgusting. When I look at myself in the mirror, when I look at myself in the mirror and I go, ugh, that is just gross. When I think about the ways that I failed my kids or failed my wife or just failed you or whatever it may be, I sit there and I go, Christ, you are going to return. You're going to make all this new, and I will rest until that day comes. Whether I get to see it here or get to see it in glory when I take my last breath, may we be a pleading people who just rest. And knowing that God wants to hear your groans, knowing that God wants to hear your cries, and He wants to invite you to hear the cries of the other people, and that you will rest in the promise that He will be faithful unto Himself, and He will protect you. And lastly, as I just shared, He knows you. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. And He has promised He's going to make all things new. Let's pray.